Let's jump in. If you want to turn with me to Joel chapter 3, and um, I have been just loving my, my time with Jesus. And when you walk with Jesus, he's always opening up new things in scriptures. He's always taking you on amazing journeys with him. And I, I just pray during this time, this summer's been different than any summer I've ever experienced. There's many things that I do every summer that I haven't gotten to do. I've, I've been overseas doing mission work every summer of my whole adult life since I was 21. I'm 44. So I didn't get to do that this summer. But I'll tell you one thing that hasn't changed is the opportunity to spend time with Jesus. And in fact, I have a little more time. We're not having to wake up uh, early and get get all ready, and we just kind of show up and turn on our computer. Anybody not fully get, uh, you know, completely showered and shaved and dressed before you checked in for work like me? You, some, anybody do the uh, business on top, beach on the bottom? Uh, <laughs> I caught Jason uh, doing that the other day. He had this nice shirt. I was like, Jason, you're all dressed up. He stands up. He's got board shorts on. And, uh, but I tell you one opportunity we have, no one can take away our opportunity to spend time with Jesus. And one of the journeys that he's taken me on this last year has been thrilling. It's something that I really missed out on throughout my, my Christian life. Today, as I continue the end time series, we're in a series called The End. The subline is revealing the beauty and sovereignty of Jesus in the last days. One of the things that I had missed was God's heart for Israel. God's heart for Israel. I'm going to talk to you today about Israel in the last days. I don't know how I missed it. My father carried a heart for Israel. He'd talk about the, the, his desire to bless Israel and how God would bless those who, who bless Israel. And, and so I, I probably should have picked up on this. But my early days in, the, in doing missions... As a young adult, I was in the Middle East often, and, and to be quite honest, there was probably a little, a little hardness in my heart because I was often in, in countries that, that wouldn't have aligned themselves with Israel but have been antagonistic. And moving to San Diego, so many of the pastors and preachers I really respected would talk about their heart for Israel. And you, you, know, you start hearing messages about things. And I, I want to encourage you, when, when you hear a message from the Bible and it's just clearly lined out, and you say, well, my, that's not in my heart, instead of saying, well, I guess that's not for me, I want to encourage you instead to say, God, do something in my heart, because I want to embrace all that's in your word. And so I started praying for that. Like, Lord, I, this was my prayer, actually. God, if I'm missing something about Israel, would you please reveal it to me? And then I had lots of friends uh, that were pastors in San Diego, and they would, they would be on these pilgrimages to Israel. And so I started saying to God, God, if you want to do something in my heart for Israel, I need you to take me there. I need you to, to open up the door. Well, this past summer, not this summer, but last summer was our family sabbatical. And uh, we, we stress the importance with our pastoral team for sabbaticals. I don't know if you know this, 80% of people that start off in pastoral ministry don't finish that way. It's, it's a, a huge honor. It's a great joy, but it's also a, a heavy weight to carry. You carry everyone's burdens. You incur spiritual warfare. And so it's very important for us to, to get our pastors off for spiritual rest and refreshment, but also 
to hear the Lord for the next season. And so Stephanie and I were seeking the Lord on what we were supposed to do on our sabbatical. And there was this miraculous day in the summer, this absolutely miraculous day where we receive a call from my assistant, Audrey, and she says, Robert, something amazing happened. You just received a $20,000 gift for your sabbatical. And I'm thinking, I hadn't asked for any finances. It was just absolutely miraculous. 59 minutes later, I get a call from Dr. Jim Garlow. And he says, Robert, I want to invite you to go to Israel with me. And I'm thinking, wow, this is crazy. However, I, I, he, he goes, we're going to be meeting with world leaders. It's going to be kind of an intense trip. And I said, Dr. Garlow, I, I would love to go to Israel with you. But I'm, on, I'm going to be on sabbatical with my family. And so I have to, be, I have to stay with my, my family. And he goes, wait a second, how long is your sabbatical? And I told him, he goes, well, we just happened to be doing another trip within that month about walking in Jesus' footsteps. Why don't you bring your whole family? And then he goes, wait a second. Yeah, it'd be way too much money. And I said, you'll never believe the call I got 59 minutes ago. <laughs> and within two days, we were signed up for that trip. And I want to tell you that God changed my life on that trip, walking where Jesus walked. One of the unexpected places that he revealed something to me is found in Joel chapter 3. I want you to turn there with me and look at the scripture. I'd read the Bible through numerous times, but I'd never seen the profound reality of the truth of the scripture. Joel chapter 3, it says, in those days, and now you got to understand, Joel is about the end times. 150 chapters of the Bible are on the end times, the last days. It's seldom talked about. In, in our church circles, but it's incredibly important. One-third of Scripture is prophecy. Joel is a prophetic book, and it's talking about the last days. It says, in those days, and at that time, when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem. Let me show you another, uh, in, in Joel chapter 3, in the New King James Version, it says, for behold, in those days, at that time, when I bring back the captives of Judah and Jerusalem. I'll keep going. I will also gather all nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will enter into judgment with them there on account of my people, my heritage, Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations. They have also divided up my land. Let me take you into it for a second. I'm going to show you a picture. My boys are going to hate this. This is last year. You can see how much y'all have grown since that last year. This is the Kidron Valley or the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Up here is the Mount of Olives. You see them. Here's the valley. Jesus says, in the last days, I'm going to actually enter into judgment on the nations for what they did to Israel. Now, first of all, let me unpack why do I keep talking about the last days and why do I propose to you that we're actually in the beginning of the end of the, of the end? Now, we all know we're in the last days that started at Pentecost. You remember Peter stood up and said, this is what Joel said in the last days. But why do I believe that we're in the beginning of the end? Well, you'll have to go back and listen to the last three messages so far. But here's another reason. It says, in those days when I bring back the captives to Judah and Jerusalem. Do you know that 120 years ago, before 1900, there were only 25,000 Jewish people living in the land of Israel. And the land of Israel wasn't known as the land of Israel. It was known as the Palestinian land. There was no land of Israel for 2,000 years. 
I unpacked for you Matthew 24, where Jesus is walking with the disciples, and they're all marveling at the temple because it was the biggest building in all of Israel, and they're just going, isn't this awesome? And Jesus says, guys, I got to tell you, there's coming a time where not one stone will be left on another. This will all be destroyed. And then he unpacks the last days. And what happened? 70 AD, the general Titus of the Roman Empire comes in, destroys that temple, it's gone, and it hasn't been rebuilt for 2,000 years. But not just that, there was a great attack on Israel, and what happened? The Jewish people were scattered through the nations. If you ever wonder why the Jewish people got scattered to all nations, there was a great attack. It was a judgment disseminating that land. So in 1900, only 25,000 Jews. Do you understand that you're living in the last days? In 1948, when Israel became a state, a nation in a day, the Jews started flooding back. There are almost 6.5 million Jewish people in Israel. There's only 14 million on earth. The second nation that has the most Jewish people, do you know what it is? Yeah, right here. 5.7 million in America. So this has happened. The captives have been flooding back in. And while we were there, we met numerous Jewish people who were saying, we just made Aliyah, which is the return, the ascent back into Israel. But it doesn't just say that. It says, when I restore, in another version, when I restore the fortunes of Jerusalem and Judea. If you go to Israel, I hope that you do. It's an amazing experience. Just make sure you bring a lot of money. The fortunes have been restored. There are more tech companies. The economy is thriving and it is so expensive. God has restored. I'm just trying to paint for you the understanding that these things have happened in our generation. In our generation, these things are happening. But here's what I missed is that Israel is the center of the world. That in the end, Jesus is going to come back and he said, I'm actually going to judge all nations based on what? Based on how they treated my people how they scattered my people, how they divided up the land. I want to tell you, that's why we stand with the nation Israel. That's why we stand with the Jewish people. And now, what I'm not doing is making some big political thing today. I'm not saying that everything that Israel does is perfect, everything that geopolitical state does that we endorse. No, it's faulty, finite humans, just like every nation. But I want to tell you, God has a promise for the Jewish people, and he is in the middle of keeping it. And we want to be about what God cares about. And so today, I want to unpack for you why you should care. I want to pack for you five important truths about Israel that will impact your life. Number one, number one is this. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. If you bless Israel, you will be blessed. Now, when I heard that growing up, it made it sound to me like Israel was some magic slot machine in the kingdom of God that you put one coin in, you pulled down a lever, and then you were going to get you know, a big payout. I don't mean it that way. But what I do mean is that God has made a covenant with Israel, and he actually did it in Genesis 12. Let's unpack where this happened. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, so you, you guys all know about Abraham. He's known as the father of faith. He was first known as Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. What was that land? That land was Israel. I will make you into a great nation. What's the nation? Very good. If you're kind of missing it today, 
Whenever I pause, just say Israel, and you'll get it. Every other week, if you're missing it, when I pause, just say Jesus, and you'll get it. I'll, I'll talk a lot about Jesus today, too. I will make you into a great nation, now listen to this, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples, love that, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God's saying, Abraham, go, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. Abraham ends up having a son named Isaac. Isaac has a son named Jacob, and Jacob got his name changed to? Good. I thought you were going to say Jesus. Nope. <laughs> That's not Jesus. Israel. And Israel, Jacob, Israel has 12 sons, and they become the 12 tribes of? Yes, you're getting it. Now, he says this. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Listen to this. Psalm 122.6, you probably heard people say, we need to be praying for the Jewish people. We need to be praying for Jerusalem. Where does that come from? Scripture says this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. I don't know about you, but I want to prosper in life. And there's this inextricable connection between the blessing of God and the prospering of God coming on you for you standing with those people. I saw this as... I matured, became older. I watched my dad's life. My, my dad came from a, a, a lower blue-collar family. He was the first one saved in his family. They had a, a harder life, more, more challenges. Uh, my dad got radically saved. Someone gave him a Bible. He was sitting, drinking a beer, listening to Three Dog Night. Um, very, very spiritual way to get saved. And uh, God can use anything. And he, he read uh, through the Gospels, and then he said he hit himself on the head and said, you idiot, it's all about Jesus. And, and he gave his life to Jesus. And as he continued to read the Bible and continued to listen to Bible teaching, he got a hold of this message on Israel. And so I remember as a child, uh, we didn't have enough money when I was a, a little kid. Like I'd say, Dad, can we stop at 7-Eleven and get a Slurpee? And my parents would say, no, we don't have enough money. So I was intrigued when my dad would talk about giving to Israel. You know, when you have no money and someone's talking about giving to something like that. But over the years, I have watched the blessing of God come on my dad. He's the only one of his siblings uh, that, to, to, to be married to his original wife, stay married, have an unbelievable, they have a storybook marriage. All the kids, all his kids are saved, all in ministry. The financial blessing just came on my dad in an amazing way. I watched as a man who set his heart on the things that God cares about. He was blessed. And the, the, the most amazing thing is dad's relationship with Jesus. I mean, he just, worship starts, he just starts weeping in the presence of God. I'm so proud of my dad, by the way. But I saw that blessing come on him. But I, I'd say I still wasn't putting two and two together until we were trying to get a facility for all people's search. If, if you're new to us, uh, we don't own this facility. There's plans for it to be developed into something else uh, in the near future. And um, when we're all gathered uh, pre-COVID, we have way too many people to, to fit here. And so we were believing for a facility. We had hired who is known as the best realtor in Southern California for churches. And he finally came back and said, what you're looking for, it doesn't exist. Three years of just frustration. And so one of our board members, Craig Turndrip, who's on staff, he's the global pastor for uh, Gateway Church in Southlake, 
uh, Robert Morris's church, if you've ever turned on TV and seen Robert Morris preaching, he said, the reason we believe that we're so blessed, what Pastor Robert says, is because we stand with Israel, and we pray for Israel, and we contend for Israel. He goes, you guys need to bless Israel. And our team went, okay, Craig, you got to take us into that, because that's just, that hasn't been our ecclesiology. you got to take us into it. He, so he starts unpacking through church history, people like Hudson Taylor, who opened up China. He's after, he's, who my first son's named after. And how he first prioritized Israel and give to Israel the beginning of the year and he'd pray for Israel. Talked about George Mueller, the, the father of, of orphans in England, who was a, a faith missionary, and how he prioritized a blessing Israel. He just went on and on and on. So I'm going, okay, these heroes of mine have prioritized Israel. Then he said, we need to, to love Israel because they have given us so much. I said, so take me into that. What are they giving us? He said, well, first of all, they gave us an understanding of the one true God. Like Abraham, all the other gods at the time were these dangerous, angry gods. It was polytheism. And Abraham comes along walking with God as a loving father. He goes, second of all, they gave us the Bible. The writers of this book, they were Jews. I really like this book, by the way. I'm very thankful for it. And he said, but, but even beyond that, they gave us Jesus. I don't know if you know Jesus was a Jew. And he came forth from the Jewish people. So I'm thinking, you know what? I think you're right, Craig. We need to start blessing Israel. So if you've been with us for more than a couple of years, you noticed about two years ago that we started changing. Every prayer meeting, we would incorporate praying for Israel. And that month that he said that, we said, you know what? We're going to give from our finances that come in. We're going to start giving to Israel. Can I tell you, within one month, we had the most amazing piece of land and a gift of $1.3 million to buy it that was owned by a Jew. It was in a Jewish area, in a Jewish neighborhood, and our meetings to get the land have been in a Jewish synagogue. Or in, um, I think it's all a coincidence. <laughs> Point number two. Point number two. We're, we're very uh, honored privilege to work alongside our new Jewish friends. Number two, when Israel comes to the Lord, the nations will come to the Lord. Now, you know that All People's Church is a church that loves all peoples. We, we believe that God has created every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue, that every ethnicity has his deposit, that all people are equal before the throne. This is a passion of ours, both here in our locale, but in the nations of the world. We are constantly going and doing short-term trips and long-term church plants in the nations. Why? Because Matthew 24, 14 says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a testimony to all nations, or panta ethne in the Greek, which means all people groups. God's heart burns for every people group under the sun. He cares for all people, and so should we. Oh, I could just keep going on and on and on about that. I don't have time today. Stay in the church, and you'll hear more. Actually, you'll hear more about it next week. That's what we're talking about next week. When Israel comes to the Lord, the nations will come to the Lord. Now, there is a... Um, there is a dangerous theology, I used to believe in it, called replacement theology, uh, that Israel, because they crucified Jesus, uh, because they rejected Messiah, that God has rejected them. 
Romans 11.1 1 confronts that. He says, I ask then, this is Paul speaking, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself. This is the apostle Paul that went to all nations. He said, I'm an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people who he foreknew. Don't you know that Scripture says in the passage about Elijah how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they've killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me. And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. God has actually not rejected the people of Israel. He, is, he has not turned his back. Now, you got to understand, I am all about the church. I'm in love with the church. You can ask my wife. I'm a churchaholic. I go on vacation. I want to go to church. I, I, I love all kinds of churches. I'm a church person. But the church did not replace Israel. We were actually grafted in to God's chosen people. And God still has a plan for these people. And right now, by the way, Jewish people are coming to Messiah like never before. There were just, uh, uh, just a handful of Messianic, which means following Messiah, Jesus, congregations in 1948. Now there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. There are 350,000 Messianic Jews. It's exploding in the world. Right now, it's so exciting. He says this, again, I asked, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, this is so important. Romans 11, 11 and 12. I want you to highlight this. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles. We need to be thankful that after those first Jewish people, all, all the first disciples were Jews, by the way, the first church in Jerusalem, they were Jewish people, but then there was a, a larger hardening. And so the, the whole of the people did not accept Jesus. And so what happened? Paul then goes to the Gentiles. Who's a Gentile? Me. Most of you. Unless you're a Jew in here, you're a Gentile. And so there's this blessing that their rejection led to the the gospel being taken to the Gentiles. We are living at the end of the time of the Gentiles, which means the time where the gospel's rapidly spreading to every people group. So there was a blessing when they rejected. But watch this. If their transgressions means riches to the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, that means that's how you got in. Listen to this. How much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? What does that mean? It means when the Jewish people come in mass to the Messiah, they come in mass, that is when the greatest blessing in history, the harvest of the greatest amount of souls coming to Jesus will happen. Okay. We have this amazing walk on our trip to Israel, we go to the Jerusalem Zoo with Rosemary Schindler. Okay, so Dr. Garlow, his first wife, Carol, beloved woman, ends up dying. And God, in his, you know, these last years, brings him this wonderful woman named Rosemary Schindler. Now, if the name Schindler sounds familiar, you're right. Uh, 
Schindler's List, very famous movie. Have you heard of it? Nod if you have, yes. Uh, very famous movie about Oscar Schindler who risked his life and spent his fortune to save Jews from the gas chambers during the Holocaust. Now, Oscar Schindler is a hero in Israel. He's one of their great national heroes. And so she is in the line of Oscar Schindler. She is really the one who carries on his legacy, receives the awards on behalf of the family, is uh, in, in uh, Israel representing this family. And so we are with her. She's who married Dr. Garlow. So she's Rosemary Schindler Garlow. So Steph and I are walking around with our kids in the, in the zoo. And she knows that I'm a student of revival. Like I am passionate about revival. I, I love revivals. I study revivals. And so she's starts unpacking something that I had never understood, that there is an inextricable connection between the blessing of revival coming on the church when there is a breakthrough in Israel. Have you heard of the Azusa Street Revival, 1906? Happened right up the street in Los Angeles, April 14th, 1906. God moves in a stable. It touches the world. It creates Pentecostalism. 80% of church growth worldwide, 80 to 85%, is Pentecostal or charismatic in origin, embracing the power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that right before that happened in 1906 is when David Ben-Gurion, the father of modern Israel, if you fly into Israel, you'll land in Ben-Gurion Airport, that is when he moved back into Israel and got together the first people who started putting forth this ideology of Israel becoming a nation again in its original birthplace. That happens, then boom, Azusa Street. Oh, that's an interesting coincidence. How about 1948? 1948, scriptures fulfilled. Can a nation be born in a day? The answer is yes. Against incredible odds, Israel becomes a state in 1948. And then what happens the great tent revivals that you've seen pictures of, that you've heard stories of, the great healing revivals in tents that swept across our nation, they begin right after that. How about this? 1967. 1967 is when Jerusalem is re-given to the Jewish people after the Six-Day War. And then what happens immediately here? The Jesus movement starts. We're believing for the next Jesus movement, by the way. Boom, the charismatic movement starts, both in 1967. How about this? 1991, a pretty evil guy named Saddam Hussein is going in, trying to destroy Israel, starts sending Scud missiles in. Boom, the Gulf War happens, and it's thwarted uh, 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 an incredible victory. And boom, 1992, Toronto outpouring, touches the globe. 2018? The United States, for the first time, declares that Jerusalem is the eternal capital. Up until that point, Israel was the only nation on earth not allowed to declare where its own capital was. Why? There is so much hatred against Israel. Why? Because the enemy hates Israel. Why? Because it's Jesus' landing destination. 2018, our embassy moves there, and now we're waiting for the next revival. There is this incredible blessing released that comes with the blessing on Israel. Number three, there will be a massive turning to Jews, to Jesus. There will be a massive turning of Jews to the Lord. Romans 11, 25 through 27, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. He's saying, church, don't get conceited. Don't act like, hey, you're all that. We're the ones who thought of this thing. He's saying, no, don't do that. 
Amen. <laughs> Israel, don't toot your own horn. <laughs> Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Are you, are you following this? Like, there are supposed to be people from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. Like, that is our responsibility as a church, to get the gospel to every people group. That's when the full number of Gentiles, it won't be every person, but there will be people from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. Then the time of Gentiles will be fulfilled. They, but they go, typically, a church is either about reaching the nations or they're like an Israel church. And we are both. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. Now, I don't believe that means every single Jewish person. I believe that's a hyperbole of the vast majority, a massive turning to the Lord. I do believe that the, the majority of the leaders will actually embrace the Messiah. As Jesus prophesied in Matthew 23, 39, I'm not going to come back until you're actually saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They will welcome him onto David's throne. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godliness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them. I take away their sins. Point number four, Israel was promised the land and was promised to get to return to the land. Now, some people say, well, it's, now it's just a spiritual thing. You know, it's not about the land anymore. I want to just tell you, we can, we can just look with natural eyes and understand that there's something going on spiritually with this land. Or why else is there so much fighting and bickering about this, this tiny little strip along the Mediterranean? I mean, that's just a tiny, tiny piece. Why? It's because it's vastly important. Why? Um, we're about Jesus and just for you to understand, if you're not getting any of this, we're excited for Jesus to return. And to put it quite simple, Israel is his landing pad. And so the enemy is really upset about that. And Israel has been promised to these people, Genesis 17, 7 through 8, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants. After you, for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants. After you, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession. Do you know what the Hebrew for everlasting means? Everlasting. <laughs> I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So he makes this, he says, I'm going to make a covenant. Well, what some people believe is, oh, they, you know, they, when they rejected God, when they turned from God, that's why they lost the land, and that's why they're not going to get it back, and that's why they've been replaced. That's why you have to study how God made this covenant with Israel. Now, how did God make a covenant with Israel? He, he makes this covenant with Abraham. Hudson, can you come here for a second? Come on. Come on. This is my son, Hudson. And... Um, Abraham probably had cool hair like Hudson. And, and uh, what, he, what in a covenant you'd do is you'd take an animal and you'd kill it. There always had to be a shedding of blood. And then you'd separate part from part. And, and so you'd separate the animal, like one chair and one chair, and then two people would walk through at the same time between these animal pieces saying, we are now making a covenant with each other. And if one of us breaks it, then it's broken. But we, we have now become intermixed in this 
covenant. It's actually why, you can sit on, oh, no, yeah, actually not yet. Here, sit down right on this corner of this chair, son, sorry. To be my son. Wow. Um, if you ever wondered why, uh, you're getting something that the, the, the other, uh, the other uh, services didn't get. If you ever wondered why there's a Abram to Abraham, is that God's name, that breath, that ruach, the breath of God, he actually puts it in the middle of Abram's name. And so his name becomes Abraham. So there's actually a merging of God's name with Abram. It's beautiful. So when you made a covenant, the two would become one. That's why a marriage is the covenant we enter into, the two become one. But instead of walking both of them through the parts, because then it would be dependent on Abram keeping this covenant with God. Do you remember in, in, what it says in the beginning of that chapter? That Abram actually fell asleep. And you're like, Abraham, that is the weirdest thing. God shows up. <laughs> like, God shows up and you fall asleep. Like, wrong time to fall asleep. What are you, narcoleptic? What's going on, Abraham? No, the living God put him to sleep. It says, a deep and dreadful darkness came on him. Sleep, my son. I wish I had that power when these guys were younger to do that. I unfortunately don't. Actually, I do have it sometimes when I preach. I see some of you actually falling asleep. I'm like, wow. There's this strange God power on me that puts some of you to sleep. I digress. Uh, he puts him to sleep, and so what happens? Who goes through the two parts of this animal? Look at this. Genesis 15. It says, When the sun had set and a darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. What is that? Well, we know from the New Testament when the Holy Spirit appears, it seemed like fire. Remember tongues of fire at Pentecost? So all of a sudden we see this smoking fire pot with a torch going through, this supernatural going through. Why? Because it's God supernaturally going through the two cut pieces of this animal by himself, showing I am making this covenant completely dependent, not on you, Abraham. You're asleep. You're not doing anything. It's all on me. Therefore, the everlasting covenant is everlasting. Therefore, you cannot break it. Therefore, this land is yours forever. Why does that matter? It matters because when Jesus returns, that's where he's going to return. That's why the enemy doesn't want Israel to have Israel. He doesn't want the people because he knows once they accept him back and he comes to actually land in Israel, that that's when his judgment takes place. That's when his evil tirade is over. So let's come to the last point. The last point is the best point. Jesus will return to Israel and from there rule the earth. Listen to this amazing scripture. A day of the Lord is coming, Jerusalem, when your possessions will be plundered and divided up within your very walls. I will gather the nations to Jerusalem to fight against it. The city will be captured, the houses ransacked, the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be taken from the city. But listen to what it says. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west. The earth can't contain the power and glory of the, the coming Jesus. 
forming a great valley and half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and the holy ones with him. And on that day there will be neither sunlight nor cold, frosty darkness. It will be a unique day, a day known only to the Lord with no distinction between day and night. When evening comes, there will be light. Why? Because he is the light. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it to the east of the Dead Sea, half of it west to the Mediterranean, in summer and in winter. And here's the best part of the whole thing. The Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, there will be one Lord and his name, the only name. If you are tired of COVID-19, if you are sick, of the racism in our country, if you are frustrated with the division and the pain, if you are hurting because of broken relationships, can I tell you that it's gonna come to an end because Jesus is going to return in bodily form. He is gonna land on the Mount of Olives. He is gonna usher into Jerusalem. He's gonna take the throne of David and he will become king of the whole earth and he will make everything right. And Satan will be cast into the lake of burning sulfur forever, forever chained. No more sickness, no more death, no more rape, no more disease, no more racism, no more pain. There will be no more Democratic or Republican parties. There will only be the Jesus party. Why do we stand with Israel, why do we care about the Jewish people? Because Jesus is our best friend. And when someone's your best friend, you care about what your best friend cares about. This is his family, this is his people, and we wanna be about what Jesus is about. And just as he has stood for them and he cares about them, he cares for you. He cares for you. He loves you. And we want to be about what he is about. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up?